Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne. I started Rebirds a few years ago because I wanted to learn the stories behind startups in emerging markets. This has since evolved into a multimedia brand with content covering the intersections of early stage entrepreneurship, emerging markets, and blockchain technology. The Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast is where I have conversations with startup founders, ecosystem builders, and investors from across emerging markets. We are now on season eight, exploring the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. Hey there, rare ones, and welcome back to series eight as we continue to explore the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. This is episode 174. Today's guest is Gustavo Diaz Scott. Gustavo is the president of BASED. BASED is an online tech platform that connects entrepreneurs to ecosystems around Latin America and the Caribbean. Gustavo has a history of entrepreneurial pursuits. He started his entrepreneurial, his first entrepreneurial venture when he was age 18, which was actually uh, the first youth-led nonprofit organization for aspiring entrepreneurs in Puerto Rico. He's a huge advocate for mobilizing young people, particularly around all things entrepreneurship. There's so much to learn from Gustavo, and I had a great conversation with him, and I hope you enjoy listening in. So see you at the end. Bye for now. Greetings, Gustavo, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Wepa, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. You are officially a rare one. Happy to have you in the tribe. Uh, thank you. Well, I, I'm not alone. I'm accompanied by the small coquis. These are tiny frogs in the background. So we're a bunch <laughs> of rare ones singing all along. Yes, I love that. I hear them. They're adding a nice ambiance to the conversation. So let's begin. Tell us, firstly, who is Gustavo? Oh, wow. <laughs> in, in short, is... the, the intro, because there's so much to yeah. you, right? But in the intro. Gust mm -hmm. Gustavo a is a social entrepreneur mm -hmm. who started his first business at the age of 12 and has always aspired to not only leave a legacy, but build solutions for the upcoming generations. I love data and everything I build is not for tomorrow, not for yesterday, not for the next decade, but for the upcoming three generations that will precede us. So mm. that's Gustavo and that's what he's building. Okay, and Gustavo, you grew up where in Puerto Rico? I grew up in San Juan de Puerto Rico um, most of my life. Um, I did travel all over. Um, I was very fortunate. Yeah, okay. So. What was it like growing up in San Juan, in the big city? So in the big city, it's it's kind of like a small city when you look at other cities. It was it was part of like the suburbs. So I would normally walk to school like two, three miles a day and walk back. But mm -hmm. I was always looking for like the free times because we could either we could always go to the beach or just jump on a ferry and go to the next island and hop. Mm -hmm. But honestly, what I love the most is that I was raised Jesuit. I went to a Jesuit high school mm -hmm. and very early on, I think my first trip was at 11. 
we did um, missionary trips where we traveled to the Dominican Republic and the borderline when the border with Haiti, we went to Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay and did community service and we did some incredible stuff there. Do you think that's what laid the foundation for the work that you're doing now? Yes. Um, if I, if I, if I and my brother didn't see or feel or or do what we did, traveling and doing Jesuit missions, like we wouldn't have been prepared to what was coming ahead of us, specifically here in Puerto Rico. Like we learned how to build houses, how to do aqueducts, how to write um dictionaries between guarani and english and guarani and spanish um we learned how to do um census of indigenous populations across um paraguay mm -hmm. and all of that weaves in seamlessly at different points of our lives but now more than ever in the current endeavor that i'm in it it's very present it's very palpable right you know the reason why i asked what it was like growing up in san juan is because Within a Caribbean context, San Juan is a big city within a Caribbean context, you know, <laughs> like myself growing up in the Virgin Islands, you know, we have these small little cities. But when you hear San Juan, to me, growing up, it was like New York, you know. So I think your view of the world was definitely shaped by that city. That's why I asked that question. I agree. And honestly, I didn't spend that much time in the city. I was always like finding places to get myself in trouble or go explore like yeah i just love going into nature or going to like a forest or something but right. um i i do remember like the first time i realized oh, holy wow this is i'm in a i'm, I'm in the city was when it was coming out of a interview for my school mm. and we were driving across el, puerte, el puente de los dos hermanos or the two brothers bridge in condado in the center of the city and for some reason it, it's it, it's just a very vivid memory in my mind where everything changed yeah now one of the reasons i'm fascinated by you just one <laughs> is because you got the entrepreneurial <laughs> the entrepreneurial bug at a very young age so tell us what mm -hmm. happened what you did when you were age 18 you founded a youth-led organization right tell us a bit more about that so at the age of 18 that was actually like my uh, my next venture before that I built a company called Hispano Informado or the informed Hispanic and what we, what we were trying to do was to how do we write news that are apolitical how do we write news that are short you can read in a tweet gives you the information and leave all the politics and biases aside and in December 22nd 2012 we got a tweet a, a direct message from Hugo Chavez um wow. And oh, wow. I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps because we did not expect that. And he has said, like, I'm happy that you guys are covering uh, uh, the news on Latin America in a way that is neutral and that's positive. And yeah. right there and then I realized, OK, we can build something with technology that transcends our borders. And that is the reason why, that is the reason why we build um, the, the Young Entrepreneurs um, nonprofit. And it was around how do we build a community that supports young bustling entrepreneurs to realize that they do have the power that they can do claim their agency and build tools that transcend the, the limits of an island. And I think that's something that a lot of people fear. It's 
thinking outside of the box and thinking about building a business that is outside of our the constraints of a tiny Caribbean island. And yeah, that's the reason why we built a nonprofit. Now, this, growing up in the Caribbean, like from my own personal experience, entrepreneurship is not something that's pushed particularly to the younger generation. So how, in terms of getting that set up, I know you were supported by government organizations and so on, but initially, was it well-received? It was well-received. Um, let me give you some context. I am the yeah. son of an immigrant, so I constantly uh -huh. saw him working day in and day out. And I had a lesson that is like, you either have to buy time or make time. And gotcha. I was wondering, okay, how do I make time to be with my family and enjoy life, not be on a nine to five? So that was part of it. Right. At the same time, when we founded the organization, I was in transitioning into college and I was reading a lot of academic papers. And I remember that back then, 2013, 2014, nine out of 10 students that graduated from college were either unemployed or underemployed here in Puerto Rico. Mm. On top of that, the Global Entrepreneurial Monitor Report by Babson College showcased that Puerto Rico's human capital ability to, to find and act upon an entrepreneurial opportunity ranked second to last in the whole world. This is be below dictatorial regimes and below countries that recently left the dictatorial regime. So when we started with the idea of like, hey, what happened if we teach our youth that they can be entrepreneurs? Some people were like, okay, what's happening here? And they did call us names and gave a, a, a lot of trolls and we received a, a lot of trolls, but we had a very good sounding board of people that, well, you've interviewed that said, okay, I agree with this. I'm 28 now, they're 30 something today. And they understood the power of igniting that, that, that chispa, that fire in our community. And they helped us structure the organization, file for the documents, figure out what are we going to do? Initially, we wanted to do a conference every single month. We ended up doing a conference every three months and bringing down entrepreneurs that below the, that before the age of 30, they had either raised 1 million people or impacted the lives of one or, or raised one, sorry, either raised $1 million or impacted the lives of 1 million people. And with that, we structured the organization and we started asking for support. And yeah. we ended up with three government organizations um, the Company for Economic Development, the Company for Commerce and Exportations, and the Youth Affairs Office on the island, um, booking us a meeting and sitting down with them. We told them, it's like, look, we are going to, this is the reality on the island. We need to change it. We have an idea of bringing stories, changing the narrative, so that we're able to, at the very least, animate, excite, or like bring hope to a community that didn't really know that you could be building a company at the age of 20 and raise a million dollars, for example, or impact right. the lives of a million people. And they said, okay, let's try this. And they gave us a, the first check and they gave us a contract for one year. And from there on, we just started doing these events and these pop-ups and they, the government was always engaged and they started sitting down with the students, sitting down with um, the kids, I call everyone a kid, and telling them, hey, this is uh, what Act 135 is. This is where all the tax incentives are and helping them actually file the paperwork. 
if I'm not mistaken, more than 50 or 70 companies ended up um, getting registered because of these, um, because of our, our efforts. Excellent. I really want the listeners to take, I mean, there's just so much I want them to take away from this particular conversation I'm having with you. But moreover that, you know, you mobilized and uh, a lot of young people, you brought a lot of young people together to help them benefit from entrepreneurship because of the big problem, which is youth unemployment. And I really mm-hmm. want the listeners to take that away from this conversation, because as you know, this is an emerging market uh, focused community. So everybody listening in here is coming from like Africa, Asia, certain parts of Latin America, where our big problem is unemployment. And I think so many of us are waiting for government to help us or, you know, we go away, we leave. That's what many of us do. We go to the US or Canada or wherever. And I love what you did because you just took the initiative and you did it by yourself. And 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 let's not let's not be confused. Like we also curated the people that we were bringing to share their stories and most of them were also sons of immigrants. They also were immigrants themselves and they had to they had they had the ability to share the gut-wrenching realities of what it means to go to a new place that is foreign yeah. and figuring it out on your own and yeah. building something that matters. And the power behind those stories and just telling them yeah. can really mobilize a community. Definitely. Crying now. <laughs> Definitely. So then from there, fast track, you went to Babson, which everyone should know is the top entrepreneurship university i think in in the world is it the world i know in the u.s for sure in entrepreneurship is yeah. quite big it's been the number one school in the world for entrepreneurship for i think almost 20 years consecutively yeah so, yeah. yeah i i talk to my students a lot about babson in in our entrepreneurship class so a few of them want to go to babson what was it like for you going to babson well i think i'm gonna i'm going to start from the beginning of what mm. I had to do to get to Babson. Oh um, boy, story if you go time. Back to, <laughs> if we go back to the question of like growing up in, in the city, um, the only vivid memory where I remember, okay, I'm in a city, was when I left the interview with Babson College. To get that interview, I sent over 70 emails. I called like 20 times to get that meeting, to get that interview. Um, Everyone else that came from a well-off background and knew about having college counselors and all of that, they they knew the game and they they got their own spots. I had to carve it myself. I had to claim it for myself. And when I got a call from my guidance counselor, it's like, hey, Gus, you have one shot. It's this time. And you have a final, you have a, a midterm exam. It's like, okay, don't worry. I can find the midterm exam answers. I'll sell them. And with that money, I'll pay someone to take me to that place, to, to, to the, norm, to the uh, Marriott Hotel and get the interview. And that's exactly what I did. I basically found the answers to the midterm. I transposed the answers because it was multiple choice, A, B, C, D, as mm-hmm. if it was like a piano, as if it was like a piano a piece. So I gave you like, the first finger is A, the second finger is B, the third finger is C, and so mm. forth. And I would yeah. teach you how to play the song on the piano. Sold that, paid my friend um, Yurak to basically like, hey, can you cut class, take me home, get all of these blueprints and take me to the Marriott so I can get an interview. Mm. And I got the interview and I showed up with all these plans, all these ideas, all these blueprints. 
and I think it went well. Um, I went so well that I got an answer later on and they told me, hey, you're accepted and we're going to be giving you a scholarship. And nice. That, that story really resonated. And I think that was like my relationship with the school. Um, I don't know if I answered the question. What was the question again? I you did. To go you did. <laughs> what was it? You, you set us up uh, in terms of how you got there. I'm just curious about what, what is it like going to a school like Babson that's 100% entrepreneur focused? I mean, yeah. in terms of curriculum, is it just like you're building all the time? Are you encouraged to just build things? Like what, what is the focus there? Because I think you did entrepreneurship, tech and design, right? Yes, the okay. TED program, te te uh, Technology, Entrepreneurship and Design. So mm. first and foremost, if you come from the Caribbean, don't, don't start the semester on January because you're going to be hit by a snowmageddon. And that's <laughs> where we got a blizzard. So my, my Caribbean um, derriere, let's, let's use that word, wasn't accustomed to the cold. So I and wasn't accustomed to not having rum at the age of 18 accessible. Mm. So mm. that was tough, tough. <laughs> yes. But basically the experience at Babson is very unique. Imagine mm. going to school and having your professors tell you, you don't have a curriculum. We only have this so we can comply with, with the board, rip it open, rip it in mm. half, and let's start class. And there's so that. many incredible courses. For example, mm. you start first year FME, Foundations of Management and Entrepreneurship. You are put in a team with 18 partners. Everyone has equity in the company. You build a company, you work, go from the business plan to sourcing, to going through the ports, to doing the shipments, to selling them, to writing the audits, paying taxes and closing the business down. So right. imagine doing all of that, but with 18 business partners. So nice. that's the first class you're gonna get at Babson. And the curriculum is, are you selling? Are you not? Okay, that's a pass or that's a fail. Um, mm -hmm. We had our shipment um, stuck in in the in my in immigrations. I think that's in customs, but yeah. that's another story. But the good thing about Babson was that it also allowed us to be multidisciplinary. Multidisciplinary. Um, I'm translating from Spanish to English, mm -hmm. so we were able to. I was able to enroll to, for example, Wellesley and Owen. And right. in there, we had a class um, ADE, Affordable Design and Entrepreneurship, okay. where our professor, also Puerto Rican, um, said, uh, hey, I worked on the vibration sensors of nuclear-powered submarines. Can you take this device, shrink it to the size of the palm of your hand, and put it on the back of a fisherman's mo uh, motor to predict when it's going to fail? And that is something that we had to build in a whole year and come to Puerto Rico and try it out on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So this, the curriculum and the experience at Babson was build first, learn in the process, and always fail, that, and always fail second, but always build. And the, the grades, they were non-existent. Like I, I graduated I with a horrible GPA because what <laughs> mattered most was building. I, and I tell my students that because we talk a lot and I knew I, this is a good time to mention the uh, the TED talk that you did, by the way, everybody should go find uh, the TED talk that you did. Uh, you talked about mindset and that's something I, I share with my students. If you're going to be in an entrepreneurship class, you've got to move away from the fixed mindset because getting yeah. an A is not what's going to make you successful in building a business. And they just kind of look at me like, hmm. Okay, <laughs> and, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned the, the TEDx talk because yeah. 
at the the last year at Babson, by the way, I dropped out twice. Okay. 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 <laughs> but but came back. Fair warning, my professors came to me. It's like Gus, you're brilliant, but you can't show up to class once a year. Mm. So I know some kids I, that never showed up but passed that got A's. Precisely. And I'm getting all the exams and getting all the grades. And I remember um, Amy, that was, was her professor. She told me, it's like, look, I honestly think you should do a leave of absence. Mm-hmm. If you decide to do it, I'll help you. Let's draft a letter. Let's talk to your parents so they don't get scared. And let's explain the reason why you need to take that leave of absence. And she, alongside two other professors, signed it. We sent it to my parents. And they were shocked that mm-hmm. I was leaving the school that gave me the scholarship and that I had fight so hard to get into. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they were kind of relieved because I was going to do something different. Yeah. Mind me, I, I, mind you, like I, I did give them like macroeconomic term, uh, macroeconomic trends as to what's coming <laughs> in the in the upcoming future. But they were relieved that. I was alongside with my professors and once it was signed, I jumped on a plane and went to Silicon Valley. Um, that's, wow. that's an even deeper story. But when I came there. back, <laughs> <laughs> when I came back to school, um, my prof- I took two classes, um, economic development and history mm-hmm. in Latin America mm-hmm. and future trends in entrepreneurship. Okay. The first class, the first day in class of future trends in entrepreneurship the professor played my video, my TEDx talk. Mm. And she said, this is Gus. He's one of your colleagues. He's in the audience. We should be, this class is all about what he's mentioning. How can we think about the trends that come in the future and build towards them today in a way that impacts our community? And since there, that's... That was the last year at Babson, and we did some other, um, we merged that future trends thinking with, okay, how do we build something that's actionable today, but also being aware of the realities of our current economic climate. So there was a lot of research that was, that was being performed in order to not only think outside of the box and have that mindset, but also keep in line with taking action, not just staying an academic all your life in theory and intellectualism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. What I want to do now is now dive into some of the businesses you've actually created, some of the Mm -hmm. foundations and and boards you've been involved with, and then just lead us up to what you're doing now, which is based. And uh, if you want to tell us a little bit of Silicon Valley, that's, that's cool as well. So yeah, take us through just some of the the businesses you've started and Mm -hmm. yeah, share with us what you've built, what's failed, what's gone well, what's still going on, et cetera. So everything I've built has always been around how do we build something that helps the community? We started with Hispaninformado, which was a media company that failed and closed down because we didn't know how to monetize. Then we jumped into the nonprofit world, but that was too time intensive and it required on basically subsidies from not subsidies, but having um, sponsorships from government agencies and other corporations. And I was already in the mainland in the US, so it was kind of hard to do here. Um, from there, we decided to do like a coffee scrub, like natural cosmetics with coffee grinds, just because mm. we thought, hey, there's something in 
using um, used coffee grounds uh, from coffee shops and coffee shops would pay us to go pick up their, their ground. So we couldn't mm. do it, but we hit a point where we couldn't scale. Um, mm. There's this embarrassing story where we had like $10,000 worth of inventory just malfunctioned because that was the first batch that we were doing in bulk. And because we didn't mm. have the equipment, we bought cement mixers and we put all the ingredients there. The heat wow. from the rotor in the motor started melting the salt and the sugar and it made it super liquid. And when you mix the um, the essential oils, what we ended up with were small coffee bombs. So oh, when dear. they were placed in a hotel, they started the 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 essential oils started eating through the bag, and all of the bathtubs in the hotel were covered in this black goo. So we oh. closed that one down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story. That's a good. We story, closed though. that one down, and when I uh, decided to jump to Silicon Valley, I asked, "Okay, how can we build something that is again around community?" Well, we've had these entrepreneurs come down to the island and give their stories why don't we build like an online course around entrepreneurship so okay. it was called let's go hustle we got into a startup accelerator we got money and everything and building a tech platform was really difficult specifically when you're like in your 20s living with like four three other roommates in a shoebox, yeah. um and not really knowing where you were um, so we did the whole curriculum, but we didn't have the money to market it. So we ended up, I, get, I ended up got it, getting contacted by a venture capital firm from Latin America. Uh-huh. And they say, hey, this is cool, but how about you, like, are you interested in maybe getting some experience working with a real curriculum and making it accessible to um, Hispanos and Latinos? It's like, sure, let's do it. And I then jumped from there to go into that that world. And I did it for... Um, I think it was like a year and a half or two years. Then from there, I started working on ClickFunnels, which is a marketing company. And from ClickFunnels, I came back to the island with the idea of building a co-living space. So we thought, okay, let me rent a property and put it on Airbnb, build enough cash flow so I can buy a property and run it. Um, When I moved back, Um, I graduated from Babson in June 2017. I came back in August, September. Here comes Hurricane Maria. Mm. Hurricane Maria is was the largest um, hurricane in almost 100 years on the island, and it cost multiple. It cost more than 100 billion dollars in damages. And I got an email from my professor. It's like, I told you so. It's like, what did you told me? That you needed to go back to grad school, but you didn't listen. So this is your grad school. Go mm-hmm. and position yourself in the center of all the data. Go out there, go to go go out there and get information. And mm-hmm. being the data geek that I was, I decided to jump on a truck with my brother and a camera and a colleague and go to a municipality. Within 10 days, we ended up going to all 78 municipalities or counties, knocking on the doors of those 78 mayors and collecting the last mile intelligence that in some instances, the federal and state government didn't have. And um, we went back to those organizations that opened our doors with young entrepreneurs almost a decade prior, uh, well, almost five years, six years prior. And we told them, hey, we have all this data, what can we do? 
And that's where I began my entrepreneurship phase where we ended up becoming part of this massive nonprofit organization. And our data was being used by more than 185 nonprofits distributing tons of, um, of resources, flying airplanes and distributing like food to create um, paellas and other, and other um, food, food stops around the island that even the federal government showed up and were asking for our information. So that wasn't oh. my venture, but it was a process of learning, okay, how do we take everything that I've learned and package it? So we had the media filming and getting those stories. We did, bear with me, we didn't have any connectivity, no internet, nothing. So we had to go there, get the stories, get the data, bring it back, find a place that had internet and actually upload it. And yeah, I worked there for a couple of months. And then in April, 2018, I built the first co-living space in Puerto Rico. So when you think uh, about co-living, imagine having 10, 15 entrepreneurs uh, living together. So going back to the basics, how do we build spaces and tools for our community? And there we operated for a full year and we had to close down. And that is the story till the point right before I decided to build base. Okay. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot. I want to dive in a little bit to the, the technology project. I think this is the Island Island relief team, right? When you, you mentioned it briefly, Hurricane yes. Maria, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what that was like. What, what was it like working on that project? What was that like? Uh, um... Deep dive. Like, I mean, because I grew up like you in the Caribbean, where we have mm -hmm. tons of hurricanes and things are always happening. I grew up in the time of um, Hurricane Hugo. Okay. We didn't mm -hmm. have, I think I didn't go to school for like three or four months. I mean, it, it just, yeah. it flattened the island. So when you say you're involved with like, you know, relief, what was that really, yeah. really like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's... It was heartbreaking. Um, mm -hmm. um, sorry, it's. <laughs> it, it was honestly heartbreaking. Like when you, I remember reaching a municipality on the southeast of the island, um, okay. Santa Isabel, mm -hmm. where the, it's it's just a little bit south southern from where the hurricane actually entered. But it was, there's this, I think it's Calle Ocho or 8th Street that was right in front of the beach. Okay. So when we got there, we saw what the hurricane um, surges in the ocean had, had, had done. And the damage was that the currents, the waves brought in the sand, that it's just pebbles, into the homes that were there and you had homes that were buried in rocks mm. and there was no windows everything was damaged um you had you can see the physical spaces where families had to literally pick up in a hurry and run you could see dolls hanging on the side of a, of a bookshelf that was used by a kid or a, or a, or a girl um you would see in some instances, open a fridge and there were maggots. So it was a very dark experience mm. where you had to go into someone's home and they didn't know it because they weren't even there. Mm. And then have the neighbor say, hey, 
we got the river overflowing, the ocean coming in, and some of us were we got dragged. And it was we had to as a 21 year old, 22 year old going to every municipality and listening to the stories of how someone lost something, mm. be it a loved one, a home, a place, a mindset, and an energy, or hope in some instances, was very heartbreaking. And yeah. that specifically, there's an image of me walking away, just crying to 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 hide inside of a, of a van. I can send you the picture, but I also saw through that that there was hope that there yeah. was an opportunity to reinvent what was happening and what we were what we were dealt with. I can't change what we were given, but I can change how we respond to it. Yeah. And for some reason that just fed that fed me with this courage or this animus, I think is the right word in Latin, where for the upcoming months, we were just working like crazy. We were asking, okay, if there's no water, how can we provide water? And that meant going to the over 300, 400 non-prafa, that non-prasa, which means water wells that are not administered or controlled or monitored by the local organization and testing them seeing if they had E. coli or other bacteria. If they had, we went in there and we teach, tell the community, okay, this is how you sanitize it. This is how you build the pipeline. This is how you improve it. Um, when it came to um, EBT transactions, for example, we saw that more than half of the population that was affected lived on electronic benefit transfers. But because the telecommunication systems was wiped out, there was no way to actually process a simple credit card or debit card transaction, or even take cash out of an ATM. So, and if, and if you could, you had to do lines in the ones that were working. So with that, for example, we worked with a Babson alumni and two telecommunications companies to install antennas in supermarkets. Okay. And within months, those antennas with a connection with literally two freaking satellites, I always joke around that we moved two satellites and shut down a shut down a beam so we could feed our community. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah. With 40 grand, we were able to install around 10 to 12 um, antennas and processed over 117,000 transactions mm. with a population density of 3.5, maybe four per fat per household. That's more than 10% of the population on the island using simple technology money and <laughs> a lot of courage um and yeah those those were some of the solutions that were that were implemented but i can i can tell you so many other wild things that we that, that we that we built but i don't i don't know if this is this is of interest um i think those are the two best cases of yeah hey this is this is loss but at the same time, there there is hope in loss. How do we how do we recalibrate? How do we find it? And how do we work towards? Okay, I lost this. I'm here. How yeah. do we get to a better place? Not as individuals, but collectively. And that's where I think the Jesuit missions prepared my brother and myself to actually 
confront this and bear bear the weight of this um, because we were taught certain values of who we are as humans and how we need to act, specifically being men of faith and men at the service of others. And that was our task. That was our calling. We had to be at the service of others. Even if it was heartbreaking, we had to. Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you so much for sharing that. I know that was hard, so I do appreciate you going back there. The reason why I asked you to, to share is because, again, it's it's community oriented, but it's also entrepreneurial because I think you you're, you were solving a problem, a big problem. And uh, I know you worked with government, and I think this is a good example how entrepreneurs can work with government, public and private sector and whomever else to solve these these big problems, because Hurricane Maria was was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Like. I mean, many and, of the hurricanes in the region. Sorry, go ahead. No, and sometimes you don't even need to seek them. They will come mm -hmm. to you. Like the first municipality that we visit, the first mayor that we visit, visited, like we didn't even know him. It's like, hey, who's the mayor? Can we talk with him? We have a camera. We want to interview him. And when we were interviewing him, um, the government agents literally just showed up in a, in a helicopter and they started speaking in English and the mayor started speaking in Spanish and there was no one there to translate. So it's like, hey, <laughs> we can help here. Um, so yeah, just, just do you and the right people will come. For sure. And now let's get into BASED, which is an exciting yeah. platform. Tell us all about BASED. So BASED goes back into all of these crazy, messy, community-oriented projects and experiences of how do we build a tool that can not only pull the future to the present, but do it in a way that is building agency in our startup communities, not only in Puerto Rico, but across the world. Mm. So based is starting as a magazine mm -hmm. but the way that we're doing it is that we are collecting multiple assets in our process so when you look at startup communities in outside of the united states mainline mainland where you don't have um companies like pitchbook or crunchbase or other or zoom info that are constantly monitoring and giving information of what's what's going on in the ecosystem, how many companies are raising capital, where they're investors, you are entering into a void and there's not a lot of info. So with BASED, we basically conduct, uh, we conduct interviews with eight different types of leaders. And from each leader, we obtain certain data points that we share in audio, video, written format, as well as a print publication. Mm. And the goal is to showcase, and this is going back to Babson, showcase an ecosystem, a startup ecosystem from the roots up. So we want to showcase who are the startups and those founders. We want to showcase who are the co-living, co-working and makerspace leaders that are creating the spaces to build up density of, of creativity and interactions. We are interviewing the social impact leaders because if you're going to relocate to a new city, you want to understand work you put in and donate your time or knowledge or money. We're also interviewing and getting to know the service providers from tax to law, to law and to, to, to lawyers. 
Um, we're also interviewing the industry leaders, such as titans of industries and other fam and other family um, orient and family legacy businesses. We're also we're also covering the arts and culture with okay. the uh, with people such as Maida, for example, where we get to showcase what makes that community tick. And lastly, we're also interviewing. Um, I'm forgetting the last one for some reason. Oh, the programming. So the, the human capital, the startup accelerators and all the universities that hold our human talent. Now, the reason why we do this, it's because there is a single pressing trend that will shape our future. And I wanna say it's undeniable, but from academic um, term, it's highly probable. <laughs> yeah. um, and that is, when you, there is there's a study published by Dr. Paul Romer. He got he won the economic um, Nobel laureate back in 2018, and he published a paper of urbanization as opportunity. In it, he he presented that in the past 10,000 years, we've moved 1.5 billion people to live in cities, mm. such as Shenzhen, London, San Juan, Medellin, you name it. But in the next six decades, we're moving 4.5 to 5 billion people to live in cities. Think about that. Wow. What does it entail to the future that's to come? At the same time, we're seeing that in the, in, in the United States, there's 4.6 million digital nomads and families that are constantly moving. And that number is going to rise to more than 30 million in, in 2035. And at a global scale, right now there's 12.6, 12.8 million, uh, million digital nomads. Mm. That number is going to rise to more than 1 billion in 2035. So an eighth of the population will be looking to the next place to go and visit. And sadly, we're, we don't have a tool that is building towards that. And the reason why we are interviewing these eight pillars, it's because those are the eight pillars that constitute a startup community, a startup ecosystem. And we believe that by doing this first in Puerto Rico, not only will we be able to showcase and build transparency and clarity to what's happening here to anyone that wants to come visit, move, relocate, or build a company from here in the next decade or two decades, but also build a franchising model so that we can empower other Gustavitos outside <laughs> of San Juan and across the world to start replicating our model the same way other newspapers and other media companies operate. So that's what BASED is. Um, our first cup, our first 1,000 units are printed this month of March, okay. um, in March in 2021. And yeah. I think that's the most succinct way to explain what we're building it, how yeah. we're building it, and why we're building it. Right. And it's exciting. If you had, if you had to to sum up the, because I mean that's it's big what you what you just shared with us. But if you had to sum yeah. it up in terms of like a clear problem that you're solving, what what would that be? What would you say that is? Yeah. So we are building a platform that helps digital entrepreneurs relocate to their next destination. So okay. if you're looking to move to, let's say, Puerto Rico or Medellin, we'll tell you everything you need to know about that startup community. So you don't do it alone. So you don't have to spend hours researching, where am I going to live? Who am I going to meet? Where can I go raise capital? Who can I hire? 
We're going to give it to you in any medium you want, audio, video, print, online magazine, you name it, it's there. And yeah, we're just a tool to help founders and the upcoming wave of entrepreneurs relocating weave themselves into a community. Brilliant. And these are specifically the ecosystems around Latin America and the Caribbean, which we desperately need this kind of uh, platform, by the way. We're starting... We're starting in the Caribbean and Latin America because that's that's where my heart is. That's where mm-hmm. my family is from. Like my father had to run away from a dictatorship. And I think that there is a lot of repairing that needs to be done and mending um, mm. for the generations that will be coming, um, not only here in the Caribbean basin, but all throughout Latin America. And Definitely. I, I think that there's nothing more powerful than a story. And we can chip away towards that future one story at a time. Yes. And the story you shared with us today is absolutely brilliant and inspiring. So here's my final question for you. You shared Mm -hmm. this incredible journey with us. What would you say has been um, the most important lesson that you've learned from your entrepreneurial journey thus far that you'd like us to, to take away? I know you've learned a lot. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say take pause. Learn to say, let me, let me get, get some time off and then let's continue. I think that when you take pause, you're able to avoid common mistakes entrepreneurs make from hiring and working with the wrong people to making the wrong the wrong decisions and how to use cash flow, to overworking yourself and burning out. I think that the most important lesson is learning how to take pause. Take pause. Mm. That is such a powerful message because I think uh, as the, those of us who are building things or consider self, ourselves entrepreneurial or who are already entrepreneurs, that's so the the anti like message that we hear we always hear grind 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 work 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 go 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 hustle 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 but we all know that's ineffective right yeah and there's no rush to be successful your success quote unquote comes in different ways in many ages if yeah. you define it in, in business in business terms most successful quote unquote <laughs> quoting um, air quotes they start their business in their in their mid fifties mm, so. Yeah. Why rush to get into that fellowship? Why rush to get into the Forbes 30 under 30 list? Why rush? Just take pause, mm. understand yourself, and build towards what's what's giving you the courage to follow your mission. I know it sounds very fluffy, mm. but I think very few people have been put in a situation where they have to realize there is a community that supports me and that I must provide back to them. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons of Hurricane Maria that most people will most likely never face or meet, but I hope they do find it in one shape, way, in one way, shape or form. That's a great message. Thank you so much, Gustavo. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast talking just generally about I think you were born an entrepreneur to be honest I mean I know there's that whole I know no one's really born an entrepreneur right like you become one but I think you were born to be one that's what I should say 
you were born to be one. Your whole life has, has, has been about just solving problems and, and identifying opportunities and building community. I like that community is at the heart of everything that you do. And I think that's been a strong message in this conversation. Thanks, Joanne. And although I'm, I'm grateful, I'm also scared because I'm only 25 and I don't know what the heck is going to come come up in the next 75 years of my life. That's what people <laughs> should know about you. You're still a baby. <laughs> you're only 25, but you've done so much. And I think it's you're absolutely and incredibly blessed to be able to get a strong sense of your purpose and why you are here at such a young age. So you're just you're on your path. And that's that's great. That's great. So keep going. Keep going. Thanks, Yuan. And I'm super excited to get to meet the other rare birds. Yeah, that's coming soon, too. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Until next time. Bye for now. Bye. We've arrived at the end. Again, I hope you enjoyed listening in. If so, Welcome to the tribe of rare ones. I'm really pleased that you're a part of the family. If you'd like to hear, read, or watch more great content, visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Additionally, don't forget to subscribe to the weekly news to ensure that you don't miss out on what's new. Until next week, bye for now. <laughs>